This morning we'll be in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. While you're turning there, I'll tell you a little bit about what we did in Tanzania, our goal there, and hopefully we were a great encouragement. So one of the things we did while we were there the first week, we had a series of preaching meetings, a revival service where we preached and we hoped people would be converted and we hoped the converted would love Jesus more. So that went through about the first week of services there. Pastor Tim and I preached. His uh, church is in Clay. I think it's North Clay Baptist Church. It's right across the street from one of the most beautiful uh, disc golf courses in the state. Real nice. So some of you to my left will know exactly what I'm talking about. That's where Pastor Tim uh, pastors. And so we had a series of revival meetings there that we preached and we hoped that people would come to Christ. And then after that, our main focus for the week or whatever we were there was for a pastor's conference. We probably had about 250 pastors from all over Tanzania, some from the Congo. And it was my job to teach on the church and especially focusing on discipline and accountability. And Pastor Tim did an overview of church history and we fielded questions for them at the end, whatever they might want to ask us. And we got some Pretty good questions at the end. So this morning I thought I would preach to you, kind of show you what we did there. I'm going to preach to you a sermon that I preached there in the revival meeting from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, talking about who is Jesus, what is more important than that. And when I finished the sermon, one of the sermons, uh, Brother Pastor Bishop Rejoice told me I needed to preach this at my church. And so I took that as from the Lord. So I'm going to preach it to you here. Um, I did not know I would be preaching that night. And so this is the sermon that I preached. And I had a lot of fun. So if uh, anybody here speaks Kiswahili to make this authentic, I'll preach in English. You can translate it into Kiswahili. I don't think there's anybody here who can do that. But So you just know you're missing half the sermon. Because there's something exciting about preaching a sermon in English and then them preaching it again in Swahili. It's like having two preachers. Fired up about the same thing. It's glorious. So it's too bad that we don't get to do that here. Maybe one day. All right, so let's start reading. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. So the question that we have before us today, every day of your life, every day of everyone's life, the most important question in the world is, who is Jesus? And these short verses here teach us some things about Jesus, which we need to carry with us everywhere we go and not ever forget it. And the first thing this passage teaches us about who is Jesus, Jesus is the Word. It says that long ago God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So how did God, if you look in the Old Testament, how did he speak to his people? 
the very first example we have of him speaking to his people is he's speaking to Adam and Eve in the garden, right? He's telling them, don't eat this fruit. You can eat the fruit from these trees. They fail because they disobeyed the voice of God, and yet God still spoke to them. But the writer of Hebrews says that the word that Adam had and the word that Eve had is, bad, is not as great as the word we have now. So if you look in the past and how God has spoken to Adam and how God has spoken to Eve, the word which you have now is more sure than the word they had even though they walked in the garden with him. So think about that for a moment. You think of the Garden of Eden as the pinnacle of man's relationship to God, the thing which we are going back to, but it is not the pinnacle of the relationship that man had with God, you have something more special now than Adam and Eve had and could not indeed have dreamed of in the Garden of Eden. So you look at how God spoke to Adam. You look at how God spoke to Abraham. The Bible says he spoke to him as a friend, face to face. He goes to him while he's in the desert, tells him, Abraham, I am your shield. I am your great reward. Remember, and Abraham fusses with him a little bit and says, Somebody born in my house is going to be my heir. You haven't given me the child you promised. And God says, come outside and count the stars and count the sand if you can. This is how your descendants will be. And that seems like a pretty wonderful word from the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says you have a word more sure than was delivered to Abraham or to Adam or to Ezekiel, whom God spoke to, or Daniel. Angels came to Daniel, ministered to him. Remember, he fell down like a dead man. They gave him great vengeance of what would happen in the future, the times in which we now live. The way that God spoke to Daniel is not as excellent as the way he has spoken to you. There's no prophet. Every single prophet of the Old Testament would be jealous to know what you know, would be jealous to see what you've seen. The Bible says in Peter that angels long to look into the things which have been delivered to us, his church. Jesus Christ is the word made more sure. In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Word of God to us, a Word made more sure. And what is that Word? That God has sent His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish under the sin of Adam, but will have eternal life. It was something that Adam could only dream of. God said to Eve that they would have a son and that that son would crush the head of the serpent and that the serpent would crush his heel. They only dreamed about the things that you've heard. We have a word made more sure. Jesus Christ is the word of God. We don't need dreams. We don't have to have visions. We don't need to have things delivered to us by angelic beings. We have Jesus Christ, the Lord, the greatest word that has ever been sent, the final promise of God made sure. Jesus Christ incarnate son of God so it says here that Jesus is the word he is the powerful word everything is being sustained through him for him and by him he is the word almost gets you to my second point he's not only the word he's God Jesus is the word of God and Jesus is God it says in verse 3 the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. Jesus Christ is the word of God. And Jesus Christ is God. There is no other like him. There is a reason he has been appointed heir of all things. And there is a reason that the universe is made through him. It's because Jesus Christ is God. 
Titus 2.13 says he is our great God and Savior. 2 Peter 1.1 1, 1 says that he is our God and Savior. John 1.1 1, 1 says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you skip down to about verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the Word of God, and he is God. And I see in Council in 3.25 says that he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made of the same substance with the Father. This is the gospel delivered to us once for all, for all the saints, that Jesus Christ is God, part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is equal with God. He is of essence with God. He is God, and that is why he can make salvation for us. There is no one else like Jesus. He is worthy of honor. He is worthy of praise. He is worthy of every devotion we can give to him. He is the exact expression, expression of God. If you'll remember when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven, Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father, it will be sufficient for us. And what does Jesus say to Philip? Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was being interrogated by some of the religious leaders of his day. He said, if you were of your father Abraham, you would understand what I was saying. You are children of your father, Satan. They said, we've never been in bondage of any man. This guy has a demon. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to kill him before, because they understood that Jesus made himself out to be God. He is God. Another time, Jesus, you'll remember this story. There was a man who was crippled. He was paralyzed. He couldn't move. He had to be carried around by his friends on a cot. You remember this? We tell us the story to our children. <laughs> he couldn't get to see Jesus because the room was too crowded. Remember? He couldn't get in there. So what did his buddies do? They wanted their friend to be healed, so they carried him up on top of the roof. They knocked the guy's roof in, which is pretty, like, bold. Nope. Anybody here want their roof? whole sawed in it, and they lower this guy down in front of Jesus. And he says something very important there. He looks at him and he says, Son, your friends are forgiving you, your sins, not your friends. Maybe they got forgiven too for cutting a hole in the sin. But he looks at the guy and he says, Your sins are forgiven you. Now take up your pallet and walk. Now there were some religious leaders there who were upset at what Jesus said. The first thing they said, thought in their heart was, who does this man think that he is? Only God can forgive sins. <laughs> Never mind that a quadriplegic just stood up and walked in their midst. What they were insulted by was the fact that Jesus claimed to be able to heal this man from his sins. And that's why Jesus did that first, because he was teaching them a lesson. I have never in my life ever seen someone who is paralyzed laying on a cot. I've never spoken to them and said, son, stand up, take your pallet and walk. And if I did that, I think people in here would faint. I would faint. It would be crazy. We would go nuts. But that is nothing compared to the power to be able to forgive a person of their sins. And what Jesus was saying is, he says to them, which one's harder? Tell someone who's paralyzed, take up your pallet and walk or to forgive him of his sins. But so that you will know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to the man, take up your pallet and walk. Because he's God. 
And he has the grace, the ability to not only heal, but to extend forgiveness of sins to whomever he pleases. People who've sinned against Almighty God, people who sinned against him, he has the power to extend to them forgiveness for what they've done. He has the power to extend forgiveness to you for what you've done because he is the word of God and he is almighty God and there is no one like him. He is the radiance of God's glory. The radiance of God's glory. What do you think of when you hear that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory? It recalls to me 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Our hearts were dark, and that the Lord God says, let there be light. And we saw the light in the shining face of Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of God. He has spoken to us by his Son, who is himself God. And again, what does Jesus say to us? Fear not, little flock, for it is greatly pleased the Father to give to you the kingdom. It is Jesus who tells us that it is the God who so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. He tells us that. He says that the Father so loved the world that he gives to you the Son, that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. It is Jesus who says, I did not come for the well, but I came for the sick. It is not the well who need a physician, but those who are ailing. You are the sick. We are the sick. We are the ailing. We are the sinners. We are the ones who are in need. He did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but the wicked. This is the word of God for us. So if you are good, you have no part in Jesus. But if you are wicked, he's come for you. If you are sick and in need of help, he has come for you. That's who Jesus came for. That is what the word of God, the son of God, tells us. Come for you. When it says that he is the exact expression, the radiance of God's glory, it means that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit love you with an everlasting love and that whoever believes in him will never perish. He's for you. That's the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God. And Jesus is salvation. He is salvation. Peter, when he's preaching at Pentecost, says that there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be saved. It is Jesus Christ the Lord. There is no other way. The Bible says here that after making purification for sins, this is beautiful, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high after he made purification for sins. You can't understand this without looking at the Old Testament, reading about what the priests did there. Jesus here is acting as a priest. He is our prophet, he is our priest, he is our king. And he himself made purification for our sins, and then he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And there's a reason the writer of Hebrews says that. Because you can go through, some of you reading through your Bibles in a year, and you're trying to... You tried to struggle through Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and there's this big section where they're boring you to death about how they built the temple. What's in there? It's a big bronze altar. It's the 
the bronze altar of the seer, something like that. And there's these big candelabrums that they put in there made of gold. And they've got so many candlesticks and they're supposed to be decorated with pomegranates. You remember all that. You're reading it, trying to, you know, get through, trying to check that box. I've got to get through this chapter. And there he is making the ark of the covenant which sits before the Lord. It's got the cherubim. They're carved a certain way. Their wings are over the holy place and you're reading detail. How they made the curtain is purple. It's got cherubim in it and it's sewn together but it's got to be I don't remember. Somehow it can't have any seams. How did they do that? And it's got to be so many feet high. It tells who's supposed to carry it and who's not supposed to carry it. Who's in charge of these things? Who's in charge of those things? You can read all that stuff and what you will find is there's nowhere for them to sit down. There are no chairs. There's no chairs inside the temple because all their priests all day long were busy killing sheep, cutting their throats, taking the blood, taking it to the altar, splashing it on there and doing it over and over again. They're not making purification with their own blood. They're using the blood of bulls and goats. But the writer of Hebrew tells us that the way that Jesus Christ, the great high priest, not of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek, because he is both priest and king, goes into the holy place, not made by the hands of men, but into the very presence of God himself, the true temple in heaven. We see that place briefly in Job. Remember, the sons of God are gathered and Satan goes in there. It's weird. And he says, where you been, Satan? He says, I've been roaming around the world, you know, looking at stuff. <laughs> God says, yeah, you have. You seen Job, my servant? There's nobody like him. Remember that? That's the throne room of heaven. That's where Jesus went. He goes into that place, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. Because the writer of Hebrew tells us that though they sacrifice all day long and all night long, and though every year they offer a Passover lamb, and every year they offer the atoning lamb, every year for Yom Kippur they gather, every day they bring sacrifices, peace offerings, free will offerings, sin offerings, day and night until the temple of God is full of blood. It does not take away sin. But Jesus comes into his Father's presence after declaring that it is finished and he goes in there with his own blood. And then he sits down because he's the only high priest that ever got finished. He's the only high priest that ever offered a sacrifice that there needed to be no more work done. The reason that Jesus sits down is because when he says it's finished, it is finished. There's no more need for busyness in the temple. Because the true Lamb of God, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, his blood is actually effective to stop the scourge of sin. And so he sits down because he made purification for sin. What does it mean, purification? You need to be purified. I need to be purified. I told them this in Tanzania while I was preaching. There was a little river outside. Some of you have been there. Remember, there's a river. People go washing it. There's a bathroom. It's an outhouse. It's right beside it. It's just a hole in the ground. Like, literally, it's a hole in the ground. You go to the bathroom in that hole in the ground. And where do you think it goes? It goes right in the river. And so I asked them, would you like to go outside, take a cup, dip in that river, and drink it? What would happen to you? I know what would happen to me. Parasites, bacteria, you'd be sick. There's no one who could drink that water and not be sick because it needs purification. 
It needs to be filtered. It needs to be boiled. It needs to be treated. And then you can drink it. The Bible says here he made purification of our sins. That's because we needed to be purified. David said that he was born in sin and iniquity. He was conceived and so were you and so was I. And our days have been spent in rebellion against God and not living to his word. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We must have purification. It's like Isaiah the prophet said. Going to take the fuller soap to us. I've told you this before, but it's such a beautiful picture. He's, he's, the prophet's watching them shear the sheep, and their wool is dirty, and he's purifying. And he sees them take it, and they wash it, and they put that, they put that wool on the rock. It's dirty, and it's gross, and they take the fuller soap, which is a very caustic soap. It's not like uh, Irish spring, people using it, singing in the shower. This stuff will burn your skin. They take it and they start rubbing and scrubbing that wool. And when Isaiah sees it, he says, God's coming. And he's bringing with him the fuller soap, not Irish spring. He's bringing the real stuff. And he's going to put it in the water. And he's going to put it on this rock. And he's going to scrub until you're made clean. He's going to scrub us from our iniquity because our sins need to be purified. And what did Jesus do? He goes to the cross to make purification for sin. And the father comes at him with the fuller soap, or worse, comes to him with the cup of judgment that Jesus has to drink down to the bottom so that we could be made clean, so we could be purified, so we could be changed. And we are washed by the blood of Jesus. In the old days, the priest would make sacrifice for the lamb. You can go and read it. They would take a little hyssop branch. You remember that? They would dip it in that blood which they had caught in the basin and they would go in before the holy seat, the mercy seat of God and they would start sprinkling the blood on the altar so many times, three times east, three times west, sometimes north. And you look and there's so many times they're supposed to shake the branch. It's very specific. We have been cleansed, the Bible says, not with the blood of bulls and of goats, but of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. We got to get so close to the cross and see what Jesus has done that some of that spatter gets on us. His death is what makes us pure. And his resurrection is what gives us hope. And there is no other way because Jesus, the word of God, the son of God, is salvation. There is no salvation in any other He's become superior to angels. The name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. There is no angel in heaven who is more glorious than our king. There is no person on earth who is better than him. There is no one who is worthy like Jesus is worthy. John tells us this in Revelation. There is a scroll and it is held by the Ancient of Days. And he asks, who is worthy to take the scroll and read the contents thereof? And John says, I looked in heaven, I looked on earth, and I looked under the earth, and no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to read its contents. And he said, and I wept greatly because no one was worthy. And an elder touches him and says, weep not, for behold, the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, has overcome and is worthy 
to open the scroll. The Lion of Judah. And when John looks, he sees the Lamb of God. And he takes the scroll because he is worthy. He is the one who has made purification. He is the one who has made us a kingdom of priests. He is the one who has made us a kingdom of kings. He has invited us to come to him that we might be saved. He is the Lord and there is no one like him. He has given to us the gospel. He has not asked us to go out and beg people to accept him. He has told us to go out and tell people to repent. There's a difference. You don't accept Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You acknowledge that he is Savior and Lord. He is the king whether you acknowledge it or not. And we are calling all men, all women everywhere to repent. The king of this nation, the kingdom of God, he's saying that he's going to return. He's left a little outpost here and there. They're called a church. And from that outpost, we're supposed to go into the world and tell people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The son of God, the almighty God, is now issuing amnesty to anyone who will bow to him, repent of their sins, repent over the fact that they've broken the good laws of the Lord their God, and if they will have Jesus and repent of their sin, bow before him as Lord, they can be in the kingdom of God and be saved. And all those who will not do it will be forever outside the kingdom of God. And when this king returns, they will face condemnation and judgment. That's what we're to preach and that's how we are to live. Nothing else matters like this matters. And our king warns us that you are going to be distracted from that mission in everything that you do, Christian, because the kingdom of this world is not going to cease to try to distract you from what is actually important. That is, we have a job to do, to herald a kingdom that comes and that anyone who is found outside of it will perish forever and ever. And that those who will hear and believe will be purified by the blood of the Son of God himself and will become sons and daughters, kings and queens forever and ever. Amen. Everything else we do pales comparison to that. You're going to get distracted by your marriage. You're going to get distracted by your children. You'll get distracted by the TV set. You'll get distracted by vacations. You'll be distracted by all sorts of things. If everything is not subordinate to that mission, we are failing our king. That's what we're called to do. People won't believe it. People will be offended by it. Even his own people get offended by it. That is what he's called us to do. He is the Word of God. He is God. And He is salvation. And there is nothing like Jesus. I've spent the last, how many other days, 12 days in Tanzania, and I've heard those brothers and sisters there proclaim that very thing. I have seen people whose lives were lost in Islam, from Islam to paganism to being Christian in name only, that by the power of God and the preached gospel, they've been saved and changed. And I've watched them sing praises to God and worship our King in spirit and in truth and rejoice that their sins have been forgiven them. And I know that it's not there only. I've seen it in Ghana, I've seen it in Uganda, I've seen it in Tanzania, I've seen it in Lebanon, I've seen it all over this world, but God's word is true. That every tongue and tribe and nation will bow and worship him. My brother-in-law just got back from Haiti, it's true there also, I asked him. 
are a king worldwide. And his kingdom is here. And his kingdom is coming. And so here is the invitation to you. If you are lost, today is the day of salvation. Come out from the kingdom of the world and into the kingdom of God and bow before the king of glory who loves you with an everlasting love. And see, if you're in that kingdom, wake up. Because we've got work to do. We've got a savior to praise. We've got a gospel to preach. And we not be distracted by the things of this world in order to accomplish the mission which our gracious king has given us. We are reconciled. We are peacemakers. We are the children of God. We should act like them. Let's pray. Father, we ask this morning that you will help us, your people. Lord, if there is someone here who does not know Jesus this morning, have mercy on their soul and grant them repentance that leads unto everlasting life. For the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we will be on mission for Christ. We have opportunities every single day to witness to our co-workers, to our, to our friends, to our family. We have art camps coming up where people can be invited. We can plead with them, come to our art camp. It's going to be great. We're going to teach your kids about Jesus and pray that there will be change through what we do here. Lord, I pray that we will become citizens of the kingdom, soldiers for the kingdom of God, not with bullets or guns, but by preaching the precious shed blood of the Lamb, marching against not our brothers and sisters of the flesh, but against the kingdoms and the armies of Satan. And that our words will be powerful to pull down his stronghold. And that Satan would rage. Because he cannot prevail against us. Oh God help us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.